This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Esports is a good aberration. We're still moving forward. We're part of something much bigger than sport right now. The health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. And this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. And today, we're so excited to be joined again by Angela Ruggiero. She is the co-founder and CEO of the Sports Innovation Lab, former ice hockey standout, gold medalist, four-time Olympian with Team USA, Harvard Business School, Hockey Hall of Famer. Uh, so much to talk about. Angela, really nice to have you back with us. Hope all is well with you up in the Boston area. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Great to, uh, great to be back. Well, so much has happened in the world of sports, and we were talking right before we came on uh, to start recording that, you know, one of the reports that, that you and your group have put out that I was just fascinated by, and I think I speak for everybody with this, is the top 25 most innovative sports teams and, and sports franchises. Let's start there, because I was blown away by a number of different elements, how much the pandemic has obviously changed, but also how much these teams are really doing and there are at least to me some surprising elements of this I, I wonder what surprised you as you sort of put it all together you and the team yeah well thanks for calling that out we um so as the ceo and co-founder of sports innovation lab from day one we've been thinking about how do we use data to really understand the industry how do we help healthy industry evolve. And as you mentioned, the pandemic has really accelerated change, accelerated the need to do things differently, um, moving the industry at large from, I would say, more analog, selling tickets and kind of the same business model to uh, a digital transformation. Everyone's recognizing the industry has to do more to service their fans, which is what we focus on at Sports Innovation Lab is the fluid fan, as we call it. Um, so we've been looking at it through the lens of, you know, the report uh, for, for many years. How do you drive more revenue? Uh, how do you invest in the right technologies? And how are you actually structured in the right way? And, um, you know, I don't think there were many surprises, um, only because we've been thinking about this for four years. But my big takeaway, um, I think, was just how over-reliant we've been Um on the traditional revenue streams, the, yeah. the revenue diversification pillar, the, the specifically um, ticket sales, merch, um, uh, broadcast rights, um, you know, the sponsorship. If, if you remove those, which we did from the report, and, you know, you looked at all the other ways that you can drive revenue, really trying to then think about enterprise value, um, you know, the takeaway for us is, a lot of teams didn't score on here that, that have fantastic game day experiences, are known to be, quote, innovative. Um, but when you strip all of the what they're, you know, the core elements of sports away, which is what happened during the pandemic, the usual way you make money, and then rely on other ways to touch fans, service fans, support fans, um, 
you know, a lot of the international football clubs emerged, which, you know, I would have thought the Cowboys and the Lakers and mm-hmm. some of these, you know, sexier teams would have scored higher. But again, we were talking about enterprise value and, and diversification of what you're doing. And it, and, and it doesn't, I guess it doesn't come to a surprise if you then think about, you know, a lot of these football clubs have been around for, for decades and, you know, millennia, uh, you know, they've been around longer than some of the North American clubs. Um, and so they've been thinking about this and really trying to, to be global and diversify what they've been doing for, you know, pre-pandemic. But the pandemic just really cast the light on what teams were doing or what they weren't doing. Looking at this report, people, especially here in the U.S., when it comes to soccer, better get with the program because you know, this isn't anymore, oh, they play it in Europe now. No, no, this, this thing is super-duper huge, and we're going to get left behind in the U.S. if we don't catch on. And I just want your thoughts on that. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, the game they experienced, the, the, some of the, the bells and whistles, I think North America absolutely crushes it. They're, you know, we are definitely ahead in terms of providing that in-game, you know, think the Vegas Golden Knights. There's all these amazing examples of, of teams here in North America um, that over-deliver in some ways on the game day experience. But then but what, what this report was about was, again, enterprise value. It's, it's long-term growth. It's touching fans where they are in a personalized way that, you know, these football clubs, these international football clubs, have already started, say, you know, their own OTT channel. They've, they have a women's program. Um, they have, uh, they've invested in esports. They've, they've already been doing sports betting. Again, that's by nature of the laws in Europe versus where we are here, where we're just catching on and you, you legally can't do sports betting in certain states. So some teams get dinged for that. But the report was about what are the possible ways you could um, touch your fans, deliver an experience to your fans, and ultimately create revenue, drive more revenue and wallet share from those fans and thinking global, um, thinking uh, what are the different assets you can build to support your your core fan base. The football clubs um, checked a lot of those boxes in this, in this report and in our analysis, which I'll say isn't a report. It really to us is a strategic roadmap for growth. Um, so uh, I don't, I wouldn't say that the U.S. is, and North American sports teams are bad. I would just say we're focused a lot on the game day experience and less on the overall enterprise growth. Mm. Um, and is increasingly you see a lot of private equity firms and, 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 and money coming into the space, um, uh, financial instruments, they're looking for that, that bigger, um, that bigger play. So, uh, so we're doing things well in the U S and in North America, um, but are we really focusing on, again, getting to fans where they are, how they want it, that personalization? That, that is one thing that the football clubs in this uh, analysis really, really stood out for. So, Angela, I'm looking at the list of the top 25 here, and I'm just going to focus in on a couple of American franchises uh, in your top 10, the Golden State Warriors and the Sacramento Kings. I never would have picked those two franchises. What are they doing right that, like, the New York Knicks, the Boston Celtics, the Dallas Cowboys, the sexier franchises are not doing? Yeah, if I, again, um, what's interesting, the league with the most amount of teams is the NBA. Um so just to, to those examples, um, 
you know, do you have a multi-use district? Meaning that's one way you can touch fans before, during, and after 365 days of the year. You're, are you building a facility that can, can touch those fans and give them more opportunities to interact with your brand and spend money on your brand? Um, are you investing in, again, the, the technology platforms that allow your fans, even if they never step foot in a facility, which during the pandemic was, again, highlighted, um, look at the ownership groups of those two properties specifically. Um, they're technology, uh, <laughs> technology uh, billionaires. I mean, so what's the – and that goes into our organizational agility pillar. Are you, <clears throat> from a leadership perspective – uh, if you're an owner of one of these teams uh, or, or uh, you know, the CEO of one of these teams, you have the right team underneath you that can execute on that vision, that can make the right build by partner decision. So I was shocked at some of the results as well, believe me, but I've always wanted to produce a report that wasn't influenced by my opinion because I would have gotten a very different list if it was just my opinion. Um, right. you, you guys all would have a different list if it was your opinion, and that I think is what the industry has been used to is, hey, we get in a room, we talk about it, it's what who we can get to or what we've read that week. And this report was really about, like, let's, let's lay the ground rules for what we think is important in terms of growth. Again, revenue diversification, technology alignment to what your fans want. Are you investing in the right technology, what your fans want? And are you structured in the right way? Do you have the right teams in place to, get, to have access to new ideas and really look and feel like your fan base? Um, the, the teams that played well there, uh, you know, invest in those areas. It comes from the top, honestly, and I guess that's my point. Like, some of this is just looking at who your leaders are and, again, how they're thinking about um, investing and in supporting in their sports franchises, not just having killer game day or not just winning. We hear that a lot. Well, if my team wins, everything else, you know, falls into place. And what this report, I think, isolated is, um, I mean, look at the Knicks, like, to one of these examples, like, even if you're not winning in some cases, you can still drive a lot of value and, and be innovative. Um, it doesn't just have to be on the court. Yeah, just look at the Knicks is the beginning of so many different, uh, just so many different conversations, Angela. You know, you know, as you're talking about the the different facilities and and the different ownership structures and whatnot, you know, one of the things that that intrigued me reading through the report was, you know, you talked about some shared facilities, uh, and specifically, I believe you mentioned, you know, what's going on in Los Angeles and the the soccer franchises there, and I believe you're going to have LAFC and Angel City the you know, mm-hmm. soon-to-be-playing uh, women's soccer team there sharing a facility. And that leads me to, I think I'm, I'm not making too far of a leap, between some of the other work that, that you're doing around the fan project, which is about engaging around women's sports. And, and part of it is the physical location. Part of it is the engagement. Tell us about the fan project, because this is really about elevating women's sports in many ways. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, so, again, we've, we try to be data-driven in, in everything we do. Um, our analysis, our recommendations to our clients is about that um, so that when, you know, we produce lists or reports or research reports, it's all about what does the data say. And we realize that the number one question this industry gets asked and tries to answer but cannot do successfully, in our opinion, and I think most would argue the same, is who is my fan? Literally, who is my customer? Who is the consumer of sport? Um, a lot of uh, the industry today looks at their own CRM system 
They might have demographic. They might have email, an email list. Um, but they don't understand the fan in terms of their different behaviors. And that's what our fluid fan research has been really focused on over the last four years is like behavioral analysis. And so um, I tie this to women's sports and the fan project because right now how we measure interest in sports is almost exclusively focused on Nielsen ratings, on linear viewership. And there's a chicken and the egg problem here that if we are focused simply on measuring one fan behavior, which is a very important behavior in this industry, watching, um, you're missing out on all the other behaviors that would indicate and demonstrate fandom, interest, money on the table. Uh, Fans are co-watching. Well, who's measuring that? Fans are buying. Well, that sits in a different data set over maybe fanatic zones. What, uh, what are they betting? Okay, all the betting providers own that data. All these different data sets are disaggregated. And what we're focused on through the fan project is looking at fan interest, fan demand, behaviors of fans, and measuring that. And so what we're doing with women's sports is actually asking fans to give us their social media archive. And I believe because the vast majority of women's sports fans cannot view online or cannot view on linear TV, I think it's 4% of viewership is is allocated to women's sports, but there's a lot of fans out there. They're forced to go online on Twitch, on on different OTT, the Whistle, other other OTT providers, other ways to to show interest. They talk about women's sports online they like athletes they share content they create content there's a lot of activity which we hope to measure and then produce a really um amazing data-driven report on the business opportunity of women's sports so we're attempting through the fan project to show with data that there's a hell of a market out there that's currently underserved because you're measuring the wrong thing you're measuring something that's very important but again back to the chicken and the egg problem it's not the only indicator of, um, of fan demand or fan interest. So uh, if, you're, if you're listening and you care, go to thefanproject.co. Help us out. Uh, we're literally going to do good with your data. We're going to try to turn it into a, a, a recommendation to the market um, that shows that there's a lot of interest out there. And it might be the food fan. It might be the casual fan that doesn't watch women's sports. Right. But occasionally like something from the women's soccer teams, like, ah, oh, that's awesome. Well, that to me shows in our data hopefully will show that um, enough of those people that are casual fans, if you put more on TV, they'll watch it. If you build it, they will come, um, not the other way around. I want to expand on that because what you guys are trying to do at Sports Innovation Lab, the end result is you want to increase the coverage of women's sports to 10% of all sports coverage in 10 months' time. Can you expand more on that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's we keep referencing the 4%. Um, I think uh, with the right um, information, we can drive more investment. And investment could mean financial investment. You see all the money flowing into Angel City and Washington and all these women's soccer teams, WNBA now. Um, it could mean investment in terms of sponsorship, which certainly – is a main is one of the main pillars of, of any sports ecosystem, but viewership we found is also look the whole the whole ecosystem works when you can be on 
when you can be live and when you can be on linear. Um, so we're trying to push for more visibility of women's sports and had a whole, a whole campaign uh, under the hashtag she did that, uh, which is, hey, if you, if you were inspired by a woman, by women's sports, um, tell us about it because we know if, you can, if we can see more, you know, Billie Jean King, one of my great friends, um, and, and role models always says, if you can see it, you can be it. And so we want to get more visibility today in International Women's Day. <laughs> get more visibility, you'll get more um, interest, and you'll, you'll change the industry and the ecosystem. A lot of people say, oh, I'm not interested in women's sports. Well, they've never seen it, maybe outside of the Olympics. It's, it's, hard to, it's literally hard to be a women's sports fan. So we're hoping to, to move the needle from, from 4% to 10%, just put a stake in the gown in terms of where we want to go. All right, Angela, capturing the fluid fan. Who is and what is a fluid fan? <laughs> what do you guys think? <laughs> they're, they're, they're everywhere. You guys are fluid. We're all fluid fans. We're all fluid by nature. We all don't do one thing. We all don't look alike. A fluid fan is about this elusive fan, this fickle fan in today's environment especially, you know, coming out of COVID, that demands more, that wants a personalized experience, that is digitally savvy, that um, cares and votes through their values and watches according to who they are. And, again, it's, it's, it's shifting away from the one-size-fits-all approach. Look, we're on linear. It's at this time. Ticket sales are this way. It's, no, we need to do more to um, understand this, this ever-changing fan that wants these different experiences they might want to they probably never go i'll just use the nba as an example maybe they've never gone to an nba game but they know every single player because of nba 2k maybe they are uh they're the one buying the top shot maybe they're uh everyone's i'm sure following the top shot example dapper labs and the the blockchain that allows you to own digital right cards now basically maybe they are simply using their phone Literally, just a, a consumer that's not just buying tickets or watching on linear is a fluid fan because they're using their phone now. They're more digitally savvy to consume content. They might watch something on Twitch and talk. All these behaviors I can talk about, they, they're open to change, I guess. They don't, you guys, I don't know your favorite team. I was a Kings fan growing up. I was a diehard Kings fan. I, I grew up in L.A. I love hockey. Um, but they're open to change. I'm a fluid fan now. I'm, oh, I live in Boston now. I'm, okay, I'm a Bruins fan. They're empowered to choose because of technology. We've given them multiple platforms, multiple options. So they're empowered to do more as a fan, which is fantastic. Again, back to our top 25 report, you need to give them more experiences. And the key point is they're constantly evolving. You think you know your fan one day, and they change. We all change. I order my groceries now with two clicks of a button because of the pandemic. I'm more digitally savvy. Well, I expect the same of my sports experiences, my entertainment experiences. So they're constantly evolving. So the fluid fan, it's hard to nail down in a sentence, but that they are like digitally savvy. They expect more. They want personalized attention. And you, you don't, you'll never truly know who they are, which means we have to really pay attention to our fans, maybe for the first time in, uh, in, 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 the, in the sports industry's lifetime. And so, Angela, give us a, a tangible example of something that you've seen a team do or you've advised a team to do that responds to that sort of fan. Because what you're describing, 
if you sort of play it out to its logical conclusion, you know, ultimately undermines the economic model in many ways that we have come to associate, especially with pro sports across all the major leagues. As you say, it was all about the game day and, you know, is the food good and are the sight lines good and, you know, can you park and and all those different things. What are some things that you've seen teams do to sort of adapt their business to this fluid fan? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tie that back to our top 25 report because that's literally what we did. We said if you take away the core elements, and we're not saying throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Yes, you still need your broadcast. You still need your tickets. Absolutely. This is about the R&D budget. Where are you spending money against new experiences, new ways that fans want to interact, um, new ways to drive to drive revenue? And if you go back to that report, um, top 25 teams in the world, some of the trends that emerge, I think, will answer that question for you. Eighty um, percent uh, have a, a paid fan membership. What does that mean? You're going to drive more revenue, but you're going to give them more unique custom experiences. Fifty-six uh, percent of the teams have their own OTT platform over the top. Why do we recommend that? Yes, it's a new driver revenue. But you also begin to understand your consumer, collect data on your on your fan and and again be able to to create more personalized experience for them 52 percent had a women's property well that's not oh here it's a loss leader no it's there's a new funnel that's why people are investing in esports as well it's like it's a new funnel into your core asset so women's sports could be a investment in and of itself but it's also again if you're if you're talking about the enterprise of a, of a team or a property, we think is a good way. 72%, I think I mentioned this before, have play in a mixed-use environment, which means, again, you're bringing fans to your stadium for other experiences. It's, it becomes a, a focal point of your community. You get more wallet share that way, more awareness. Uh, I mean, I can keep going on and on. Uh, uh, incubator programs, 58, yeah. 48% have an incubator program. Again, new ideas, new ways to think about um, – uh, what your fans care about? What are these products and services hitting the market? Do you understand them? Do you are you are you on top of the ideas? Not just the products that come out of incubators. A lot of times, startups fail. We know that. Just like where is the market headed? What what are these young entrepreneurs trying to solve for? There's a there's a there's a gap maybe. So um, a lot of the report again ties back to that question, which is there are simple things you could do. You could sh- literally. I mean, a simple recommendation. Do you have your Twitter profile in more than one language? Like, wow. Make sure you have a, a Spanish Twitter profile. Something very easy. If your fans don't all look and, and sound the same, what are you doing to build out that ecosystem, which is all technology-enabled, as we know, um, to really support them? And, and the great thing is, you know, COVID exposed a lot of that, but we see a lot of teams now really pushing forward with their digital transformations, with trying to think through um, how do they create more growth uh, underneath them. And, uh, and ultimately, if fans, I'm going to go back to the stadium. I'm, I'm like, can't wait to get back to the stadium. But some fans may not. Yeah. They want that really great lean-back experience at home. Maybe they have two or three screens where they're interacting and they're betting and they're talking. Um, are you able to build out that, that kick-ass experience at home for those fans that want to, you know, stay at home? So, again, hard answer, but, like, there are some easy things to do, just simply, like, can you communicate in their language? 
Um, and harder things, which is invest and build out your own maybe OTT product that allows you to see who these fans are. Yeah, a lot of disruption coming uh, for sure. And, and as you rightly said earlier in the conversation, Angela, uh, the pandemic has, has just accelerated so much. Really, really good to catch up with you. Um, you just have your finger on the pulse of, of so many interesting things. Can't wait to have you back and uh, hopefully back in the studio before too long because I think we're all itching to get back to, to stadiums, to offices, to, to all those things that, that look a lot more like normal life. So thanks again for spending some time with us. Always a pleasure. Always a fan of you guys. Keep educating the market. I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing as well. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Mike Lynch and Jason Kelly. And we're here with you each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again at the end of the week. We're going to catch up with Cynthia Marshall. She's the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio, around the world and online, wherever you get your podcast.